Anthology presents Professor Challenger at the Precipice of Oblivion by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury Jones, based on characters created by Arthur Conan Doyle. Part 5 Core of the Earth, Blighty. Listeners, you will understand that I am somewhat put out. You'll recall that, having undertaken a journey from a haunted Scottish castle via the Orient Express to the mountains of Bavaria, Professor Challenger and I were very nearly killed by disintegration, only to be saved at the very last moment by the intervention of American secret agent Daisy McFarlane. Together we became embroiled in a dogfight above Europe with the zeppelin of our evil nemesis Heinrich von Heimlich, and took in the sights of that continent on our way to Norway, where we hoped to catch a boat to Iceland and stop the villain once and for all. Typical of our luck, however, the boat was torn apart in a terrible storm, and as I bravely helped Challenger and Daisy onto the raft to save their lives, I was swept away to sea, watching them vanish into darkness. Oh, I am doomed now. Though that storm eased off pretty quickly. It was eerie, being out here alone. I kept saying things and waiting for a response. But I was totally cut off from the world. Well, our goose is really cooked this time, eh, Challenger? Oh, I'd love a bit of goose. I'm so hungry. I'm so cold. Help! My calling into the darkness was in vain. My energy was low, and I was struggling to stay afloat. Oh, Lord, I'm going to drown, to drown! Help me! Someone was looking out for me. Maybe the ghosts of Edward Malone, who I'd met earlier at Grunwald Castle. For, looming out of the dark, floating towards me, was my bed frame, torn free of the cabin, and atop that was my case. Gosh, how convenient. With my last reserves of energy, I swam towards it, pulling myself up onto the bed, popping open the case, and wrapped myself in a thick coat. Oh, there we are. Toasty warm now, and... Oh, my chocolate! It's gone! That utter, utter bastard! My secret supply of chocolate had been pilfered, it seemed leaving me with only a small piece of Turkish delight. I resolved to ration it, determining that it might be the last food that I would eat in a while, as my bed-slash-boat motored into the night. Hmm. Ooh, yummy. Self-control had been my downfall once again. I floated for an hour or so, considered having a quick nap, Tried to read the last chapter of Lord Edgware Dies by the light of the moon, and even considered doing some stretches. The stars peered down at me, and I was captured by their majesty. I wonder what it's like to be up there. Then I remembered that I had already been up there, and suddenly the stars seemed very boring indeed. Ouch! I was taken by surprise as my bedboat came to rest against the colossal island of ice jutting out from beneath the dark depths of the North Atlantic. Gosh, a glacier! No, wait. What would Challenger say? I had a think. Oh, look! Peregrine, a glacier! 
I bet you certainly aren't smart enough to know what one of those are, are you? I'm so smart, aren't I, Peregrine? Look at you, in your poxy dinner jacket, and look how prepared I was with my woolly hat and saw. Yes, yes, I have so many brain cells, but all my brain cells can't make up for my total lack of hair. Why? Uh. Goodness me, a penguin. The little creature hopped delightfully towards me. What on earth are you doing out here? I didn't know they had penguins in the Arctic. They don't, Peregrine, and I am so smart. Well, you're clearly not, you oaf, because look, there is one now. Come here, old chap. The penguin approached me, seemingly happy to see me. It was the most loved I had ever felt. Well, I say you're a handsome fellow, aren't you? I shall call you Perry the Penguin, and you can call me Peregrine the Man. I was lacking in inspiration, I must admit. Any food around here, my good man? Perry took me by the hand, or flipper, depending how you look at it, and began to lead me across the arctic terrain of the giant glacier. I felt uplifted, for not only did I now have a friend, but he was going to share his food with me. You know, I think you're the best friend I've ever had, Perry. <laughs> you're so funny! Oh, thank you. Yes, Savile Row. Gosh, I should have worn something different. We clash. <laughs> we were rounding a corner and I was just about to ask Perry to speak at my future wedding. When I froze to the spot, which in and of itself was no mean feat. Stop. Perry, can you see it? A polar bear. Yes, there is. Be quiet, Perry. You're going to draw its attention. Alerted by the sound of my compatriot, the hulking behemoth raised its nose into the air, sending a plume of steam into the crisp night sky. The blood of the seal that it had been warming dripped disgustingly down its snout. A low grumble gurgled from its throat. Cold eyes observed me, challenged me, dared me to come closer. I had other ideas. Oh lord, now you've done it, Perry. Let's get out of here. There was nowhere to run, and Perry the penguin was nowhere to be seen. I was awash with an awful sense of futility. The polar bear reared up on its hind legs, letting out a roar that shook the entire glacier before its paws came crashing down on the ice. The glacier cracked and shuddered around me. The beast padded forwards. Good polar bear, sit, stay, sit, stay. The beast wasn't listening. I looked about me, desperate for an escape. Lining the edge of this frozen coliseum, Perry and a gang of other penguins had taken up seats like Romans watching their entertainments. It occurred to me that my trust had been misplaced. I had been betrayed by my best friend. And in order to distract and possibly placate a polar bear, Perry? Why? The polar bear lurched forwards, its huge frame careering towards me. This was it now. I closed my eyes, welcoming the embrace of darkness. The insides of my pupils were lit up in a dazzle of red. 
I opened my eyes and immediately had to shut them again, blinded by a huge searchlight. Dusty snow was kicked up about me. As I squinted through the glare, I could see that the polar bear, stunned by the sudden brightness, was rushing in the opposite direction, sliding into the black sea and vanishing beneath the now calm, cool waves. Then, echoing about me, a voice. Guten Abend, Herr Peregrine. It looks like you are in a spot of course, yeah? Who is that? It is I, Heinrich von Heimlich. But not a moment too soon. Don Chainlink, you cur. You may as well have left me to die. I have some hot chocolate and marshmallows on board, Herr Peregrine. Would you like to join me? Never! Half an hour later, having been helped up a rope ladder into the warm, inviting embrace of the Zeppelin, I was freshly washed, dried, and dressed in my own quarters aboard the ship, and sipping a delicious hot chocolate in the stately stateroom of the airship. Von Heimlich was fixing us both a large helping of brandy, and I greedily slurped down the rest of my hot chocolate. I say, this is terribly generous of you, Henry. Thanks so much for the clothes. I always thought I looked good in black. Yeah, they are spares. I have a few sets. I need them for this club that I am part of back in Berlin. Bet they're good for a party, eh? Yeah, a party. You could say that. These skulls are a bit creepy, though. Do you mind if I take the hat off? Please, Philip, make yourself at home. <laughs> are you quite all right, my friend? It's it's just... No one ever calls me by my first name. Not even... Not even Hair Challenger? No. Yes, this is not a surprise to me. He is quite mean to you. Oh, that's just, you know, a banter. Yeah, this is what I saw too when we were working together in London. He says very hurtful things to people. Well, I mean, we, we've had good times. Bad times. He is also quite xenophobic. He said some very nasty things to me simply because I am German. I'm not even German and he's horrible to me. But he's saved my life countless times. Has he saved your life, Philip? Or has he made you save your own? Well, I, I'm pretty sure he... Where is he now, for instance? Well, I just couldn't get on the piece of wreckage. Hmm. Interesting. Yes? No, it is nothing. Have some more brandy. Thank you. What is interesting? Oh, just that... Well... We were watching your ship in the storm from here, and I watched... No, I shouldn't say it. Watched what? Watched what? I watched Challenger push you away from the wreckage that he and the American woman were lying on. And I hate to tell you, Philip, but there was plenty of room. No. No. No, no. I was crushed. How could he do this to me? I mean, I knew he was a bastard, but this, this, I sobbed in a very manly way.
there, there, Philip. It is okay. You are among friends now. Friends who need you. You need me. You need me. Yeah, we need you, Philip. Because you have the map of the mountain that Challenger stole from my lover in Scotland, yes. don't you? Yes, I do. I kept it on me the entire time. I presented the map to oh. him. Yes. Finally. The missing piece. My lover. Lady Milieu. Lady Milieu. Yes, why do you say it like that? What do you mean? Never mind, do go on. My lover, Lady Milieu, refused to give this back to me when we had a... Uh, an argument. Oh, really? About what? Well, apparently, being a Nazi is not as virtuous as it is made out to be in Berlin. She was embarrassed. I don't think you're nasty at all, really. You seem quite pleasant, if anything. Yeah. Anyway, after we blew up the castle in Scotland, my men excavated the basement to find the map. Instead, we found Mein Liebchen. Oh, good. I'm glad someone went back for her. She was dead. Well, I, I feel like you only have yourself to blame for that one. Yeah. Anyway. Now we have the map, we can complete our descent into the hollow earth. The where? We will descend into the core of the earth, following Otto Liedenbrock's instructions, and find the crystal lake of immortality that his nephew, Axel, describes in the lost chapter of his account. There, I shall bottle the water, and return to the surface to conquer- The world. Nine. Nine. The, the energy drink market. Dastardly. And then, as a result, the world, of course. The Fiora will be very pleased indeed. The who? You used to be a foreign correspondent, yeah? Yeah. Well, I can see why it is in the past tense. Ah. We motored over the Faroe Islands and arrived in Iceland the following afternoon chasing a headwind the entire way. After a short stay in Reykjavik, where the Zeppelin resupplied and picked up a small army of workmen, we floated northwest, where the peak of Snefersjokl loomed towards us. Von Heimlich grew more excited by the hour, so that by the time we set down at the dig site on the edge of the crater, he was as giddy as a schoolboy. We have arrived, at last! And now, with the map marking the safe location from which to descend to the core, we can begin our journey to the center of the Earth. Oh, goody! Are you sure you don't want to stay up here? I regarded the bearded worker incredulously. Are you mad? When I could see the center of the Earth with my new best friend, Harry Heinlich. It would be a good idea if you stayed here, Peregrine. Well, I think it would be a good idea if I didn't. This other anonymous worker has the right idea, Peregrine. You should definitely stay here. There might be some fireworks. I've seen enough rockets for one lifetime, thank you very much. And my so-called friend, Professor Challenger, didn't think I should stop last time. And I imagine if he were here, he wouldn't be asking me to stop this time. I really, really, really think that he would, Peregrine. Shh! You'll give yourself away. You don't know the professor like I do, sir. Right. Up to you, then, I suppose. 
Unmoved by this strange encounter on the surface, I paid little attention as the two obnoxious workers melted away into the crowd. Come, Peregrine, shall we journey to the center of the earth? Sorry, Henry, what was that? Uh, I said, Philip, my dear friend, my best friend, shall we descend beyond the precipice of oblivion? Oh, what a great idea. It had been a long journey through the great chain of volcanoes, having taken in the sight of the vast hillocky masses and gaping craters, and I couldn't quite believe that we were now at Snafferjokel itself. Standing at the lip of its chimney, I shuddered at the enormity of the shaft. It was the biggest shaft I'd ever encountered, and I feared travelling its length. But soon enough, Batting away the silver plumes of smoke, I, von Heimlich, and the workmen began our descent. Down, down we travelled. Well, you get the idea by now, listeners. I often found myself going down with Professor Challenger, and it felt odd that he wasn't by my side, if a little liberating. Pops of sweat surfaced on my brow the deeper we journeyed, and soon my whole body was slick with perspiration as we neared the hot core of our planet. I feel like I'm going to fry to death, Henry. Yeah, it is very hot, Philip, but we will be okay once we reach the center. These are lava fumes working their way upwards. We are imprisoned in a heated mass, but we will soon be liberated. He was right. The deeper we journeyed, the cooler it eventually became we were soon travelling in a more linear direction. We walked for what seemed like days, camping in the darkness of the passages. Eventually, just as we were starting to feel the dire tang of thirst on our tongues, we stumbled across the river in Axel's account. Von Heimlich's eyes grew wide. Look! The Hansbach! Ledenbrock's nephew was correct! We are close now, fellows. Close to the center of the world. We must keep going! Further we went. Further into the halting blackness that shrouded us. Then, ahead, a pinprick of light. A tiny point of amber. My heart swelled as we pressed on. The light grew bigger, bigger still, until we reached a crack in the rock's face large enough for a man to crawl through. Excited, that is exactly what von Heimlich did. Then... When he reappeared moments later, he motioned to his team. The workmen hammered at the rock, forging a crevice for us to drag the heavy machinery through. And as I pulled out of the hole, my eyes took in the most incredible vision they had ever seen. We are at Valhalla. What is Valhilly exactly, Henry? It is a shining world here, Peregrine, which provides the very source of the power of the gods. Come, we must travel through the vast fields of Folkvang. What is Folkvanger, Henry? He darted a finger in the direction of a meadow stretching before us. It was truly remarkable. We had entered a cavern so huge that it had created its own ecosystem, and when I peered upwards, I was struck by the fact that we were now journeying beneath an azure sky, filled with lazy, pacing clouds. On the horizon, the wide stretch of water, the glistening depths of the Liedenbrock Sea filled the frame. 
we pushed our way through the bizarre flora and fauna, giant myrtle trees and cypress shades looming over us. Von Heimlich plucked a berry the size of a golf ball from a bush and greedily wolfed it up. Seed spilled down his chin and his teeth glimmered with a sticky substance as he smiled at me. Sweet, like money. Uh, are you sure that's safe to eat? It is ambrosia. You want some? I shan't risk it, thank you. I've a rather dicky stomach, you see. Suit yourself. Come, fellows, get a move on! The workmen were pointing at the sky and murmuring in panic tones amongst themselves. And then I heard it too. A terrible screeching sound above us. Oh, goodness! A great bird swooped through the heavens. It pitched downwards and seized one of the men in its savage talons. What is going on? It's... it's... it's a pterosaur! The beast swooped again, its ruby eyes burning into my soul, and turning to escape I fell face first in a puddle of green scum and stagnant water. I spluttered and concealed myself amongst the bulrushes. It was pandemonium. The evil budgie of a creature was picking von Heimlich's men off one by one, ascending the clouds with each man, and then dropping him so that he plummeted to a gruesome end. The screams were excruciating to hear. And then there was another noise, like four giants stomping over the meadow. Two more dinosaurs broke through the foliage. The four-footed beasts were mauling some of the remaining men to death. Soon the screams stopped, and I could hear von Heimlich making his getaway, signalling to the survivors, their feet splattering through the mud as they breathed curses in their mother tongue. Oh god! I see Dinosauria! Scaly feet were clomping my way. I could hear air hissing out of one of the beast's nostrils as it sniffed among the spikelets in which I wrapped myself. I prepared for it to raise its giant hoof and squish me like a beetle. Peregrine! There you are! But, but, Professor! And Daisy, too! Hello there, Perry! What a sight! Challenger and Daisy were riding a dinosaur each. The pterosaur bowed its beak dutifully to them, and then flapped its silver wings and faded into the ether. You're... you're riding dinosaurs. Consider this a rescue mission. I did try to warn you not to come down here earlier, Peregrine. When? Just before your descent. You were the two anonymous workers I spoke to. Correct. Not so anonymous anymore. Is that a megalosaurus, Professor? You surprise me. It is indeed. And that's an iguanodon, is it not? How do you know these things, Perry? Last summer, I visited Crystal Palace with its dinosaur sculptures. They were amazingly accurate reconstructions, it seems. Amazingly accurate. You see the chap Daisy is riding? I stood, patting down my sodden trousers, and gazed at the four-legged beast with its neat scales. It must have been about 40 foot long, and it waddled towards me. The elephantine lizard's eyes were guarding me vacantly. I call this one Stumpy, on account of its stumpy legs. And this one, the iguanodon I am riding, 
I call horny. On account of the horn on its snout, no doubt. Not exactly. The beast's thick purple tongue cascaded over its snout, and if I didn't know better, I would say it winked at me. It sat back on its tail, revealing the white underside of its belly, and whinnied at me. Right. How are they so docile? While you were forming a beautiful friendship with von Heimlich, Daisy and I managed to get ahead of you and wrangle these beauties. It is very convenient for all of us that I spent a summer on the South American plateau I discovered, training some dinosaurs. That is amazingly convenient. It is indeed. But we haven't been parted for that long, Professor. How on earth did you manage to get here first, locate the dinosaurs, train them to be so well behaved, and then still manage to head off on Heimlich and his men? Ever heard of a Deu Ex Machina, Peregrine? A day with the ex-macaroni what? Never mind. Needless to say, we organised this attack to rescue you. To rescue me? I thought you didn't care about me. Especially after what happened during the shipwreck. I saw the zeppelin just as the storm hit, Peregrine. I had no choice but to use you to my advantage. It's just a pity von Heimlich seems to have gotten away, along with a few of his cronies. But they can't have gone far. Jump aboard. I grabbed his enormous paw and he hoisted me up so that I was saddled behind him. We have something to show you. We have befriended a tribe nearby, made something of a truce. If they protect us, we'll protect them from the Nazis. And when did you find time to do that? Shut up, Peregrine. We journeyed on the prehistoric beasts, breaking through clumps of trees and eventually arriving at a huge crystal lake. The glints of silvery stone walls revealed our contorted reflections as the monster sloshed through the seaweed and we embraced the vision of the translucent pool. Darkness was falling, but vestiges of light still skimmed the pewter surface of the lake. A big-bellied chief greeted us, his party behind him. We were welcomed by the scantily clad tribe via high-pitched squeals and clicking tongues. This is Vabra. He's the chief here. He likes the look of you, Peregrine, though he thinks you need fattening up. He wishes to inaugurate you into the tribe. Oh, how lovely. Tell Volva, I'm very grateful. He desires that you marry his daughter. Is she attractive? She has a face like a guinea pig. Oh. Which is a delicacy amongst the Tupapumba people. Oh, they're not cannibals, are they? Not like the ones we encountered on our last adventure, I hope. Oh, yes, they're cannibals, all right. Oh, goodness. We should leave, Professor. I don't fancy being fattened up and served with a side of guinea pig. They ceremoniously eat their dead. Oh, there's nothing to worry about, Perry. Many tribes on the Earth's surface do the same thing. In that case, where will the wedding ceremony take place? Listeners, I married her. The chief's daughter, Sucky Kiz, did have a face like a guinea pig, but it was a particularly cute one, and she was very affectionate indeed. Her fingers twined in mine throughout the evening's proceedings. She had chocolate brown eyes, and as you know, I love chocolate. And raven hair. I... I tolerate ravens. She wore what looked like a leather pilch for a skirt and what looked like coconuts for a bra, but were, as Challenger informed me, fragments of her ancestors' skulls. Peregrine. When you're done narrating to yourself, 
You might want to take up the chief's offer to enjoy a beverage. The chief, who was festooned in colourful feathers, held a bowl in his hand, which he planted in my palms. I suddenly realised I was very thirsty indeed. Thank you very much, Volvo. What is it, Challenger? The villagers call it Lotium Simia. I guzzled it down. Also known as monkey piss. How could you? You're insulting them and embarrassing me, Peregrine. Pull yourself together, man! Sucky giggled and nibbled my earlobe, which put my mind at ease as a foul liquid lapped against my taste buds. Where is Miss McFarlane, Challenger? She's tending to the dinosaurs, making sure they're saddled all right. I cast a look about me at the vast oval-shaped hut in which we were dining, the soil cool beneath our buttocks. This dining hall seemed to be formed from a combination of dung, twigs, and what I assumed were animal bones, but were, as Challenger informed me, more bones of ancestors. It was strange. It was fantastical. But it was better than being accosted by the doorman at the Blades Club. In that very moment, I decided to retire here. Sucky grew more and more comfortable in my presence, to the extent that she started reprimanding me with clicks of her tongue, demanding that I pull my finger out and wash all of the utensils used by the tribesmen and women at our wedding dinner. I fetched the utensils, which were made of bone, of course, and set about the task of washing them with water from a pyxis, a kind of vessel or jar in the kitchen area. I felt at ease and hummed a jaunty tune to myself as I scrubbed the utensils, good and proper. But my relaxation was short-lived. The bark of gunfire. I re-entered the dining area and witnessed chaos. We were under attack. A maelstrom of daggers, shrapnel, shrilled through the air as von Heimlich and his men grappled with the Tupumba people. I could see my new wife, fierceness in her eyes, which were now more like dark chocolate than the milky kind, as she stabbed one of the goons in the bottom with a bony fork I had neglected to collect. I resolved to help her, but then decided she could look after herself. My heart leaped to my throat as Challenger grabbed me from behind, carrying me under one of his trunk-like arms and out into the cool night air. We concealed ourselves behind some kind of molten rock, and I peered up at the sky at what looked like a cluster of stars, but was in fact some kind of phenomenon created by luminous plasma. Or so I guessed. I breathed a sigh of relief, deep from my lungs. Oh. We're safe now, Professor. Don't you mean... Extinct? I turned around to see a cocked revolver in my face. Daisy smiled sardonically at me and prepared to pull the trigger. Oh no! Professor, we'll be betrayed. Oh, this is it now. This is not how I expected today to go. We were surrounded by von Heimlich's men and some women dressed in red jumpsuits who seemed very chummy with Daisy McFarlane. I couldn't believe my eyes or my ears. Was this it for us? Would our voyage beyond the precipice of oblivion, this odyssey into the bowels of the earth, really end? 
in betrayal? Professor Challenger at the Precipice of Oblivion starred Robert Durbin as Philip Peregrine, Darren Freebury-Jones as Professor Challenger, Adam Ankin as The Penguin, Alex Mann as Heinrich von Heimlich, and Laura Phillips as Daisy McFarlane. You've been listening to an anthology production written and directed by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury-Jones. 